Thank you so much, Mark, uh, and welcome to all of you. <clears throat> We're uh, thrilled that you're here. Looking forward to, forward to a great week at Shepherd's Conference. Uh, the Lord has much before us, I know. Uh, when I was a seminary student, I, I had one goal in mind, and that was to somehow acquire the tools to rightly interpret the Word of God. I actually never thought about what I would do with those tools. I, I wasn't sure whether I would be a missionary or a pastor or a professor or, or what. I, I don't know that I ever really thought enough about it to make it a priority. I just wanted to know how to explain the Bible accurately, to give voice to the Word of God in this generation. While I was uh, going through my education in seminary, I, I did some reading about um, Martin Luther and the Reformation, and, and I thought about Germany, so I thought, well, maybe the Lord wants me to be a missionary to Germany, so I, I went to, to a college locally and learned German. And uh, don't ask me to repeat it, that is a long time ago. <laughs> But I thought, well, I just want to be available if that's what the Lord wants me to do. And then I made, I don't know, a dozen trips to Russia or so, and I thought, well, maybe it's time for me to learn Russian. And But the Lord has never let me out of this blessed bondage of Grace Community Church. The Lord has, however, the, the Lord has, however, extended the reach of that church around the globe. It was 1980 when the church decided to send our family on a, a tour of uh, essentially um, China, India, and other parts of the world uh, with our family. Our little family packed up and we started in uh, Australia and New Zealand. And we got to India and we were staying in the William Carey home there and uh, we were living in rather primitive uh, conditions in Calcutta, uh, where uh, about a million people live in the, in the gutters, and uh, an amazing experience. And there was a meeting of missionaries that night in the William Carey home in Calcutta in 1980, and there was a new missionary who had just arrived from Fuller Seminary. And I was aware of the Fuller School of World Missions. and. Um, I said to this missionary in front of the group that were there, what is your objective in coming to India? And he said, without a hesitation, to liberate Indian women from male oppression. I think at the time there were a billion people in India, so he had 500 million women at least to work on. <laughs> to liberate Indian women from male oppression? That was a very definitive moment for me because at the time, that was the school of world missions, and that was a recent graduate. And I went away from that evening literally terrified of what was likely to happen if this got spread very far. Obviously somebody with that objective is going to have a very short career. He may not actually liberate one Indian woman under those conditions. But I remember coming back from that tour and saying, something different has to happen around the world. 
I had been other places in the world. I had been to Latin America. I'd, I'd been up in the in the jungles of the Andes. I had I'd preached to uh, people known as Alca people. I'd preached in Colta, uh, primitive tribes, and sung hymns with them when the gospel had already been there. And and I just had a a heart cry beginning to develop for the training of leaders around the world. When I was in Ecuador, there were there were women who were essentially leading the church because they were the only ones that knew the gospel. Some of them were faithful enough not to preach, but to prepare a sermon and then give it to a, a native believer who could stand before the congregation and preach it. But I was very aware, and I think it's obvious from the New Testament on, that the church moves when it has strong leadership. And I didn't see that around the world, and that's what began to burn in my heart as a burden for training leaders all over the globe. I had no idea it would ever reach the proportions that it has. Um, In the early days, I would go to a a country and teach the Scripture, and there would be a response, and men would say, "Um, can we get more, can we get more, and then there would be uh, a conference, and I'd go back, and some more of our men would go back, and it would grow and grow, and then people would come from those countries, and, and they would be trained, and then they would go back, and it just continues to flourish. And I, I remember the first time I went to South Africa, uh, I, I had an amazing set of experiences. Apartheid was still pretty clearly manifest there. So there were no really mixed racial congregations to speak to. I was in the Afrikaans Church, Dutch Reformed. I I was in uh, the Anglican Church, which was very evangelical. Uh, I was in some Baptist churches, and I I had just a wonderful time. But again, I, I was aware of the fact that there just needed to be more leaders. And I prayed at the time that the Lord would allow us to have an impact on that, and as of uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Carl Hargrove came back from um, South Africa and told me there are 20 graduates of the Master Seminary pastoring in South Africa. And all over South Africa, they're holding pastors' training conferences to train other leaders. And that's just one country in which this has begun to happen, for which we are grateful. When Mark said there's a list of 56 nations that are saying, can you come and help us? I thought of Acts 16, that ninth verse, where a vision appears to Paul in the night, a certain man of Macedonia standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, we've never had a strategy to uh, design a program uh, and then go sell it around the world. We've never done that. We have never tried to impose uh, training on any nation. We have just we have just responded to the call, and now it's at a point where we we don't have the manpower to respond to the call as widely as it exists. And I I just want you to understand, I hear people say often, uh, you know, we need to pray for a great revival in the world. Personally, I think we're living in the greatest, the greatest spread 
of biblical truth in the history of the church through the Internet. I mean, there are people in rice paddies listening to Reformed theology on the Internet. It is everywhere. And what it's doing is creating an appetite for that to happen in local churches around the world. And that is creating a necessity for trained men around the world. And they're coming at us and saying, we know you do this, can't you please come to our country? None of us have had a vision, but we have heard the cry across the world. And so we decided a couple of years ago to sort of partner TMAI with the Master Seminary because uh, we, we want the guys that come into the seminary to know that the seminary is not an end, it's a means to an end. You don't come to the seminary, you come through the seminary to the world. That's the whole idea. And we want the world to be high profile so that when you walk in the door and you go upstairs, the world is waiting there to welcome you. We want to continue to see this flourish. We're starting some online programs, an institute for church leadership where church leaders all over the world, because we get so many requests, even though we may not be able to go to all of them, we can provide an online program, an online curriculum for a certificate in church leadership for any church leader around the world. We uh, obviously can do that in English at this point and uh, rapidly maybe in other languages. We have, uh, and you'll see this if you haven't seen it, we've uh, put together a new systematic theology called Biblical Doctrine. And Mark told me uh, Sunday that it is already contracted to be translated into seven languages. And that is the work of Crossway Publishers. They've gone ahead and done that, negotiated that, because we need to get sound doctrine in as many languages as we can get it, and we can do that in one volume. And what a tremendous benefit and blessing that is. Obviously, you can't, you can't be a pastor, you, you can't be a, a involved in a seminary in this day and age without understanding that the great need is global. The great need is global. In some ways, when I look at the United States, I, I, I grieve uh, greatly, have for a long time. It amazes me how, how unclear the gospel is to many in America. I, don't, I didn't expect this when I came out of seminary that I would spend so much of my life writing books on the gospel for the church, the gospel according to Jesus, the gospel according to the apostles, and now a new and final one in that little uh, trilogy, the gospel according to Paul. And now uh, Crossway wants me to title the book on Isaiah 53, the gospel according to God, and ashamed of the gospel, and the truth war, and on and on and on, trying to help people who profess to be Christians to understand the gospel. It seems as though uh, even in many evangelical corners of our world and even in many megachurches, there is a superficial approach to the gospel and to the Word of God. In some ways, America's 
had the truth, had it just about every way possible that it could be delivered, and in many cases set it aside. However, there are places in the world that have not had the truth. And the passion of my heart is to see us be able and others, not us alone, we're by no means alone in this, we have many faithful partners, but to do whatever our part can be to make a difference across the world or the leadership of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things we're doing at the seminary is we're taking our THM that academic degree, and we're making it modular so that just coming to to the seminary three weeks a year from anywhere in the world, you can get a THM. The value of that is if you have a school and you're training men to get that degree gives you faculty status. We're very excited about that. Another thing that we're doing, and you might want to take a look at this, just kind of launching it. We aren't a denomination, but we all, we all basically affirm the truth, right? We're lovers of the gospel, lovers of the Word of God. And uh, there's been kind of a need for us to link together. So uh, sometime today, or maybe later today, or the next few days, check out themastersfellowship.org. It's just a way that we can connect our churches together. And on that website, we will create a global map of faithful churches that stand with us in the truth, themastersfellowship.org. If you want to be a part of it, I think you just put your name in or your email, and uh, there'll be some, some things that we'll be doing together collectively. I never dreamed when I came out of seminary what the Lord would do in our ministry. I, I, used to, uh, I used to wonder about Ephesians 3, now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Even the very power, of course, Paul says, that raised Christ from the dead. And I used to wonder, well, I can think of a lot of things. How can the Lord do exceeding abundantly above anything I could ask or think? Well, He has. He's not only done more than I could ask or think above what I could ask or think, but exceedingly above what I could ask or think. And I really believe it comes back to to one great reality. That is that God honors His Word. His Word does not return void. And when His Word is proclaimed, His Word goes forth and accomplishes the purpose to which He sent it. His Word, according to Hebrews 4.12, is a sword. According to Jeremiah 23.29, it is a fire, or it is a... Yes, it is a fire, and the same text says it is a hammer. Isaiah 55 says it comes down like rain. Mark 4 says it is seed. Amos 7 says it's a plumb line. It gives life. And so always... All our ministries are endeavors to make the Word of God known. And as you heard Mark say, the theme is Christ Himself. There is confusion all over the world about the person of Christ. That's not accidental. That's exactly what Satan would want, right? Confuse people about the person of Christ and the nature of the gospel. 
salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we're always in that battle, always engaged in that battle. I was doing some study just this last week uh, preparing for uh, a message that I'll give down in the Ligonier National Conference the week after Shepherd's Conference, and uh, necessarily I was reading through N.T. Wright, whom I choose to re- rename New Testament wrong. But I was reading more of N.T. Wright, and I was amazed at the, his, his ambiguity, not, not so much ambiguity about Christ, but his utter ambiguity about the gospel. No, no matter how much I read, I really had no idea what he believed about the gospel or what he believed about saving faith. But there was one thing that is not ambiguous in N.T. Wright who is very influential, and that is this. He flatly rejects the biblical doctrine of justification by imputation of divine righteousness. There is no ambiguity in that. The the rest seem to me to be smoke and mirrors, sleight of hand with theological jargon. How? How serious is this? Paul said, if anybody alters the gospel, let him be what? Cursed. We have to get the gospel right, and to get the gospel right, we have to get the person of Christ right. That's what led us to emphasize in this uh, particular Shepherds Conference and TMEI Conference the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be an exalted week because you can't get a better subject. People ask me, you know, why do you, why do you spend so much time in the Gospels? And I said, because I, I, I just can't let go of the person of Christ. What has made Grace Church what it is, is the dominating reality of Christ as revealed on the pages of Scripture. Our people have come to know Christ through the Word of God. And that is our goal around the world. You can pray for us. We, we want more students at the Master's University. We want more students at the Master's Seminary. And we, we have to have more because the cry is beyond our capacity. So we have to train more men. So we've started some extensions. We, uh, we, we have an extension in Washington, D.C. Uh, we have one in Montana, we have one in Dallas, we're opening another one in Central California. And this is an opportunity for men in these particular cities to come together when we're having classes here and come into class by video and interact with the professor. It's not an online program. Part of it may be online, but it, it's actually being live streamed into the very class. Why are we doing this? Because the reality is not everybody's coming to Southern California, and um, we want them to have the best training possible. If they can't come our way, we, we need to figure out a way to get it to them. That just, that just makes sense. We've got to figure out how to get men trained in an environment where not only are they being trained. Not in an online setting only, because you don't know if they ever got out of their pajamas and did anything, (laughs) but but where they are vetted by a church and cared for by a shepherd pastor and 
and nurtured in the development of their spiritual life along with their academic life. I love the fact that Master Seminary is part of a church and all of our extensions are part of churches. And those will go now global. The Master Seminary will be essentially offering degrees in seminaries in other countries and other languages. This is the, the way the Lord is, is pulling us. So it, it, all, it all is very surprising to me. I wake up every day absolutely thrilled and, and say, Lord, how, how did we ever get to this place? How, how did this ever happen? We are frail. We are weak. Uh, we, f- we fall short of what You deserve from us, and yet, in spite of us, You have taken Your Word and You've spread it around the world through many faithful, faithful men. I am uh, beyond grateful that the Lord has drawn to us men with one common commitment, and that is to this book. You know, if you're a leader, essentially, if you have influence as a leader, you will attract people who want to do what you do, who want to be what you are. And I trust that as a leader, what you want to do is to teach the Word of God, and what you want to be is an example they can follow in life and ministry. And God will multiply that. I always remind our men that we work on the depth of our commitment to Christ and His Word and let God take care of the breadth of it. He will spread it wherever it needs to go for His honor and His glory. So I couldn't be more thankful for Mark Tadlock's leadership, all the folks that are involved in TMAI and uh, all the missionaries that we send out. I think we have 90 families now from our church around the world essentially involved in training, meeting some of the guys on Sunday morning. In the prayer time, I was reminded again that some of these guys have been out there 20 years and more. Uh, some of our training centers, for example, uh, Brian Demesian could tell you, uh, in Samara, Russia, a flagship training center where literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of pastors have been trained, I've been in that place, is now completely in the hands of the Russian leaders who were trained in that very institution. We're so grateful for that, and they're carrying on the work in a, in a very effective way. And that would be the ultimate goal, wouldn't it, uh, to train men and then hand it over to those men. That's just that's a tremendous thing to see, and we're seeing things like that. The seminary in Mexico City is basically all in the hands of the guys that, um, that are there. That's their nationality. That's their school. And they were trained there, and, and that gives them a permanence and a, and a settled uh, sense and also a future in the hands of the people who really take ownership of it. So this is a... This is a picture that is constantly unfolding. We need your prayers. We need your participation. We love, we'd love to think that you partner with us. And in a simple way, again, I, I just remind you, themastersfellowship.org, 
no obligation except that you say, I believe in what you're doing. I want to partner. You're my kind of people. Um, I, I, I want to stand for what you stand for. I want to come alongside, and, and we'd love to have your partnership in that, okay? You're going to hear a lot. You don't need to hear any more from me this morning except to say uh, one, one more little thing, just footnote. My dad founded this church when I was a student long, long ago. And as a high school student, I came to this church, didn't have this auditorium. My dad planted this church, and the reason he planted it was he was a... He was a, an American Baptist, and that was a denomination. That's an uppercase statement. He was an American Baptist. That was a, that was a denomination, a rather significant one. There were Southern Baptists and there were American Baptists. Um, I remember my dad saying to me one day that, that the man who was in charge of missions for the American Baptists had written an article in one of their periodicals, and the article said, I have good news for all of our churches. I am convinced, he said, that we don't need to take the gospel around the world. We just need to go around the world to tell people they're already saved. He'd become a universalist. With that, my father said, I can't be a part of this. And after pastoring a couple of the largest American Baptist churches in the area, he uh, left and said, I'm coming over this way, we're going to start a church. And this was the church he started. And as a boy, this is where I heard him preach, through the book of Acts, through the book of John, the book of Romans, defending the faith. Just driving in here um, is very emotional for me because he's been with the Lord about a dozen years. And I can just tell you that everything he ever said in the pulpit, he lived. What a legacy for me. There was no difference in him in the home and him in the pulpit. Uh, He loved his Lord. He loved the Scripture. He loved ministry. He loved the church. And his objective in starting this church was that I would come alongside him and I would minister with him. And so I did that for a while. Um, While I was in seminary, I, I did that. And then after seminary, I did it for a while. And then uh, one day I said, you know, Dad, we both do the same thing. We both preach. We both preach expositionally. Um, This was a significant church in its size, but I said, we don't need to do this in the same place. You need to have this pulpit all to yourself, and I need to go somewhere else. So um, it was a kind of hard parting because I think he had in his heart that we would be together. So I said, I won't go very far. So I went 15 minutes. (laughs) Race Community Church. And I knew about that church because when Patricia and I were married, um, came back from our honeymoon, it happened to be a 
a Saturday night that we got back into our, our little house, which wasn't far from here, little tiny, tiny house. We paid $12,500 for it. <laughs> it was Sunday morning and we said, let's go to that place called Grace Community Church. So we came here to Grace Community Church, not here. So we had been there just at the end of our honeymoon and it was a number of years later the Lord led us back there. Um, so the Lord has put this particular church um, in my life kind of historically and it's wonderful to come back to this place and see this. The pastor here is one of the graduates of the Master Seminary which would make my dad very, very happy. So God bless you. You all have a wonderful week and uh, let us provide for you anything and everything we can. We welcome you and we're going to be praying that God's work will be done in your life during this week. Thank you.